quick intro, all right? We said that all Scripture is always profitable uh, for all of us, the entirety of Scriptures. Entirety of Scriptures can be interpreted always literally, prophetically, and we can always draw personal applications as we read the Scripture, as we hear the Word of God, uh, as we consider the Word of God, as we meditate upon the Word of God. All Scripture is profitable for our life as we navigate through these times. But having said that, we need to study the Word of God as exhorted in 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And as we have learned uh, in this whole series, that there are three broad categories of people on this earth. In the beginning, there was mankind, and mankind was known as later on as the Gentiles. From Genesis 1 to Genesis 6, God created mankind, Adam and Eve, and their descendants to fellowship with Him, to have a relationship with Him, to experience the reality of God. And as we know from Scripture, men rebelled against God. And they came to a point in time in Genesis 6 where it is recorded that all the thoughts and imaginations of the hearts of men was wicked and evil and there was killing and there was violence resulting in the flood of the world which you know as Noah's flood. And yet God's heart was not willing that all should perish. His heart continued to reach out to men. And from there, He called out a man called Abraham. And through His covenant with Abraham and his sons, Isaac and Jacob, He created a new nation, a new people group from mankind in general called Israel. And from there, we have a category of people called the Jews. And then for hundreds of years, and a couple of thousands of years, Yet the same thing happened. The wickedness of the hearts of men. They rebelled against God. God sent the prophets, He sent the priests, He allowed them to have kings and so forth. And yet, they rebelled against God. And from that, as we've learned last week, uh, God suspended His dealings with Israel. He has promises to Israel that was suspended. And from there, He created a new group of people called the church. Today, anyone, whether you're a Jew or you're Gentile, all right? We are all Gentiles, whether you're Chinese, an Indian, a Mexican, uh, a French, we are all Gentiles. Anybody who is a Jew and a Gentile, if we place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are born again, when He is our Saviour and Lord, we are placed into this new category of people called the church. So these are the mysteries which, uh, and they're known as mysteries because previously they were unknown. Previously they were unrevealed. But for us today, they have been revealed to us. Colossians 1.26 tells us the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. Now it is revealed to the saints, to the church. And today the church is towards the end of that two days or that 2,000 years. The rapture can happen anytime. The church began at Pentecost. The church will end at the rapture. And we're living in such exciting times. So a quick recap. So last week, we covered the first mystery in part one, the blindness of Israel. God suspended His dealings with Israel. And the question is posed, why we want to bother with that? We are the church, all right? Why bother with Israel? We must bother with Israel. We are very grateful for the gospel to us Gentiles. That temporarily, blindness has occurred to Israel so that the fullness of the Gentiles had come to His saving grace and knowledge. We are warned in Romans 11.25. Paul says, do not be wise in your own eyes. We need to be humble. The lesson that if God can reject Israel and suspend them, He can reject us equally. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Say, don't bother. All right? All these mysteries, what is it all about? 
every exhortation in Scripture, every prophet, prof, prophecy that is being fulfilled has uh, implications for us. We also learn why bother because of the error of the replacement theology. The church never replaced Israel because Israel and the church are two separate covenant people. And so that this will help us to appreciate the mercy, and I call this the super grace of God. Paul calls this the glorious riches of the grace of God. The church is the trophy where God boasts of His tender mercies and His glorious grace extended to those who will receive Him. For those who reject Him, they will face the consequences. Why else bother about Israel? We are told to bless Israel. Genesis 12, those who bless Israel will be blessed. God gave a particular name of His, the song that we sang. To, uh, God told Abraham, I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. And He says that those who bless Israel, God will similarly be their shield and their exceedingly great reward. And we are told in Scriptures to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then last week in part one, we also talked about the second mystery, all right, which is very common to us. We understand this very clearly. The second mystery is the church. Jews and Gentiles, the one new man in Christ. We are a newly created group of people in which God has placed covenants. We are also known as the chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 1 Peter 2.9 Various names. Once we did not receive mercy, now we receive mercy. And therefore, why bother? We should be grateful and give thanks and praise, which is why we worship God. Never lose fact or, uh, sight of that. 2 Peter 3.9, that God is not willing that any should die or perish. God is yearning for everyone to come to salvation. I did a, a, a feedback session every Monday, the pastoral staff, and they all were feedback. They sent back in the pastoral WhatsApp group, and a number of them uh, replied. One of their takeaways from last week's message is the urgency to share the gospel. The urgency to share the gospel. This morning, I had a prayer meeting with a group of leaders, and one of the brothers was just sharing about uh, his 80-odd uh, old father who is down with fourth-stage uh, cancer. And this father is a very intellectual guy, and he just asked for prayer from the fellow leaders in this group. Uh, can we pray for him? And one of the prayers we pray is that God will tear down the lies that he's been believing in, the deception right, that blocks the true knowledge of God in his life, and pray for the family members and this particular brother to be able to relate and find opportunities uh, to speak to the Father. And one of the takeaways last week also is about uh, our lifestyle. It should be a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is metanoia, changing our mind, changing our belief system, that influences how we decide, how we respond in various situations. The changing of the belief system must affect our lives. It must change our lives in the end. All right, Because we know that there is another mystery which we will talk about next week about the rapture. We know that Israel will go through the tribulation, the seven years of terrible times, and then Jesus' second coming. All right? So today we're going to look at uh, part two, three mysteries. And in a sense, these mysteries are clearly spelled out for the church. And why do we want to bother with this? Because God desires us to walk closer with Him. Why bother with this? Because God wants us each to experience the reality of God, the presence of God. If we are not experiencing the reality of God, then we will be wandering in the, witness, in the wilderness 
There will be people that has no hope. So these three mysteries, godliness, the church as the body and bride of Christ, where God invites us into a very intimate relationship with Him, and especially the fifth mystery, the Godhead in every believer. All right, so let's look at the first one, godliness. This is from 1 Timothy 3.16. And it says, without controversy, without debate, without arguments, very clear, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. Why uh, is this the ministry, mystery of godliness? He says, God was manifested in the flesh. It's a mystery. God becoming like you and me, God becoming a, like a human being, this is the incarnation of Christ. And obviously we know, every Christmas we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but don't take this for granted. To a lot of people, to the non-Christians, to the Jews uh, that they stuck in there, whatever, they didn't, how can God come in human flesh? This is Jesus, the Son of God, God becoming uh, the Son of Man. And this is something, as we are in the end times, that the devil... Lawlessness will try to discredit. The devil will try to sow doubts in, in the minds of men. We know this from 1 John 4, 3. He says that every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which is already now in the world. When we partake of the bread, we remember that Jesus died for us bodily. He did not die for us bodily. We are wasting our time here. Our faith is futile. Because He died for us bodily, He was buried, He rose again, He ascended to the Father. He came bodily. In the beginning was the Word, John 1.1. 1, 1. And verse 14 of John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came in human form. He is in every way like us, except that He was without sin. So that He can empathize with us. He was hurt. He wept. He was wounded, he was tired, he was weary. He went through a lot of stress until drops of sweat that was like blood came out of his pores in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in every way that we are. And all this is described in the book of Hebrews. Every Christmas, we celebrate his birth. Matthew 1 uh, is, a, uh, is a, some verses we are very familiar with. Here we are told that Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before they have sex. She was found with child. And what is the child of the Holy Ghost? Verse 20 of Matthew 1, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and his name shall be called Jesus. He will be the saviour of the world. It's a mystery. The virgin birth. And through the centuries, there'll be people who try to discredit this. Impossible. Of course, it is impossible. What is impossible to men is possible to God. And so it was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The virgin shall be with child. Prophesied in the book of Isaiah a couple of thousand of years ago. And, he shall, and she shall bear a child and call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. The Old Testament has been prophesying of the first coming of Jesus or from, through the virgin birth. The elders of Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they studied the Scriptures. They knew about this. And yet when Jesus appeared on earth, they did not recognize Him, which is what we talked about last week. They did not know the time of the visitation, of the fulfillment of all the many, many Scriptures of the first coming of Christ. 
which is why God's dealings with Israel was suspended. One of the many reasons. Luke chapter 1, we're familiar with this scripture. The angel appeared to Mary, do not be afraid. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, verse 33 of Luke 1. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Which is why the church will be raptured. Jesus is going to come back for Israel at the end of the seven tribulation years. And after the gap of time, he is going to establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years and thereafter for all eternity. 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifested in the flesh. The second phrase, justified in the spirit. The meaning of justified is to be declared or made righteous. It is to be accepted in the sight of God. It is to be validated. It is to be confirmed that it is true. It is being witnessed to. It is evidence. That's the meaning of justified. And the Spirit, of course, is the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. There are three incidences, three occasions, where Jesus, the Son of Man, was justified. Firstly, at His water baptism. In Luke 3, verse 22, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. He was affirmed by the Father God even before he began ministry. At the transfiguration of Matthew 17, where Jesus brought Peter, James and John up the mountain, a voice from heaven, a voice came out of the cloud in verse 5 of Matthew 17. This is my beloved son in whom I am well, well pleased. Listen to him, hear him. And just after he, when he entered Jerusalem in John chapter 12 verse 28, a voice from heaven. Those who were there, they heard that voice. Jesus was justified in the Spirit. He was seen by angels. We know this during His first birth, recorded in the Gospels in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. An angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy. And then worshipping in the clouds of heaven was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts. In Hebrews 1, verse 6, we are told that the angels of God worship Him. And when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's recorded that an angel appeared to Him, strengthening Him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, Gethsemane when He was realizing this was His greatest battle, to obey the Father and to go to the cross, an angel came to strengthen Him. There are all kinds of angels. There are warring angels there are pastoral angels, there are, there are messenger angels, there are ministering angels, and there are angels that will just come to give physical strength to you and I. And that's what they did here with the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was preached among the Gentiles. If you read Acts chapter 17, Paul had this message for this group of people, the Gentiles, who put a tomb and they inscribed on this, uh, on this tomb, this altar, to the unknown God. And you read the whole chapter of Acts chapter 17, Paul was expositing to them, who is this Lord Jesus? Where does this salvation come from? He traced the events from creation and all the way that God has established boundaries. God knows exactly where we live, the houses that we live. He knows our coming in and going out, and that salvation is found only in knowing the Lord. Jesus was believed on in the world. We know in Romans 1.16, 
Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save all who believes. And today, cumulatively, you look at history, a significant, in fact, I, I, in my thinking, most of the people of the various belief system, Christianity has the most number of believers. And yet the Bible says in Romans 11, 25, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then the blindness on Israel will be gradually removed. To everyone who believes, first for the Jew, and then for the Greek, for the Gentiles. And finally, he was received up in glory. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus rose from the dead, he was on earth for 40 days, preaching and teaching and talking about the kingdom of God. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, after the 40 days, and when he had spoken these things, <clears throat> while they watched, Jesus was taken up. A cloud received him out of their sight. And then the angel spoke to the men, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him into heaven. And when he's in heaven, the Father God said to the Lord Jesus, in Psalms 110 verse 1, this was prophesied in Psalms 110 verse 1 and repeated in Hebrews, repeated in 1 Corinthians 15. The Father, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, Jehovah, I am. The Father God said to my Lord, the psalmist says, which is the Lord Jesus, sit now at my right hand. The Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father until I make your enemies your footstool. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully manifested here. Which is why now he has called forth a new category of people called the church, where all the blessings and all the fullness is given to the church. But for Israel, they have yet to experience. God's new covenant is with Israel and with Judah. Where God said, I will write my laws upon their mind and put it in their hearts. Then all will know me, their sins will be forgiven. It is not fully for Israel, but it's fully for the church. Come and sit at my right hand. The Father God told the Lord Jesus. So that is the mystery of godliness. Mystery number four, the church as the body and bride of Christ. Firstly, the church as the body and bride of Christ. And Paul says in Ephesians 5.32, this is a great mystery. And what is this great mystery? Paul says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. These are truths we have been well taught and we know this fairly well. And why bother? Because we need to know that as, as we go on to look at these mysteries, God desires a very intimate relationship with each one of us. God desires that every one of us continue to experience the reality of the presence of God. So the, the church as the body of Christ, Ephesians 1.18, Paul says in this prayer that the eyes of our hearts will be opened, that we may grasp the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the church, God's inheritance in the saints, God's inheritance in you and me. We are God's inheritance. We all know it the other way around. We know that God is our inheritance. We are as and join as with Christ. God is our inheritance. We inherit God. But here is God saying He inherited us. The glory of His inheritance in the saints. We are so precious to God. He's saying here that we are the trophies. He delights in us to pour His mercy and grace to all who will receive His mercy and grace, which is free, which is by grace that we are saved, not of works. And He put everything under His feet, under the church, His body, the fullness 
of Him who fills all in all. It will take a while to grasp this, that we are so significant in the eyes of God, in Christ. The, qual- the qualification is in Christ. When we receive this free gift, when we grow in our relationship with God, when we experience the reality of God, then we will experience the fullness of God. Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. We are many members, but we are in one body. There's only one body, the body of Christ, connected to Christ, which is the head of the body. 1 Corinthians 12. The body has many members, and by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit has baptized all, us all into the body of Christ, the one body of Christ. If we are made to drink into one spirit, you are the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and each one of us, we are a part of the total body of Christ. The body of Christ comprises of all born-again believers everywhere in the world through the last 2,000 years, beginning from Pentecost, and you will end at the rapture when the last Gentile comes to know the Lord. Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6, he repeats again, there's only one body, he emphasizes one body. There should be no schism in the body. So your brother or a sister who goes to another church or belongs to another denomination, he is your brother, he is your sister. We belong to the same one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. God the Father is our heavenly Father. There are many implications of this. Therefore, he says, love one another. Forgive one another. Don't fight one another. Let there be unity. Let there be unity in the Spirit. So it's so important. Just as a local church here in BPTC, those watching online and on-site, whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, we are all one body in Christ. I shared about uh, a a brother friend we know from Israel in in Tel Aviv. And he was so concerned. There's a big fight in some of the churches about the, those being vaccinated and those not being vaccinated. He has got to give a special message, which is on YouTube, addressing to the leaders of the churches in Israel. Don't let any issue divide us. All right, on fundamentals, non-negotiable, but on all the other things, hold loosely. So important. We are one body in Christ. Ephesians four, and because of that, the Lord Jesus gave what we call the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry to strengthen the larger body of Christ in His kingdom, in, in here and in Singapore and in the nations. He gave apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. I function as a teacher in the larger body of Christ. I just spent a whole week, the last four days, all right, teaching in the Bible school, in the school of leadership. I do three modules, and next week, this coming week, again, I'm going to do another module in the school of ministry. To help, and these are people come from 50, 60 different kinds of churches all over Singapore, and some are from overseas, strengthening the larger body of Christ. We are brothers and sisters. And until what? Until for the edifying of the body, until the perfect man, verse 13, until we all grow in maturity to the fullness of Christ, verse 15, Ephesians 4, until we grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ. And verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together. We are joined at the joints, our wrists, our elbows, our shoulders, our hip, our knees, our ankle, at the joint. The joint is the connecting part. You with the brother, with the sister, and that's how the scriptures tell us to encourage one another, help one another to grow spiritually. That is the body of Christ. And then Paul uses this other analogy. He calls this uh, 
the mystery of the church as the bride of Christ. Christ is He who is the head. The body of Christ is He. But in terms of relationship, all right, it is, it, it is typified as like a husband with a wife, a wife with a husband in terms of relationship, in terms of intimacy, in terms of knowing one another, in terms of sharing life. All right? That's why he calls this a mystery. So Paul says, I'm jealous for you, the church in Corinth, with a godly jealousy. I betroth you to one husband as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul is very bold here, but he was the apostle given the gospel of grace. Verse 3, I fear that lest somehow the serpent deceive Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's telling us it's all about a personal relationship. You, me, with the Lord Jesus. You, me, with the Father God. You and me with the Holy Spirit. It's all about deepening our relationship with God. The simplicity of our devotion to Christ. We must devote it only to God. Everything else we hold loosely, which is why we teach here again and again. Hold extremely tightly always to the Word of God, the promises of God. Hold extremely tightly always to your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Everything else in life, hold but hold loosely because everything else in life is not perfect. Your spouse, your children, your job, your finances. We live in a fallen world of corrupt people and corrupt systems. They will hurt us, they will stumble us, they will chip us, they will become obstacles. So what is the simplicity? Our devotion to Christ must be simple. Don't let the evil one complicate it. Don't allow people to stumble you. Oh, I don't want to come to church. Hypocrites. We are all hypocrites that need the mercy and grace of God. All the accusations, oh, the elder is this or the pastor is that. And look at this thing on the social media. Don't allow all these things. Paul says, guard your heart. Don't let the devil through all these various means stumble you from your simple devotion to Christ. Very simple. Ephesians 5, 21 to 32, he gave the analogy of the husband and the wife, the roles and responsibilities of the husband and the roles and responsibilities of the wife. He says in verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this is a great mystery. Of course we know, of those of us who are married, husband and wife, or those of us who are single, we have very close relationship. All right? we, as, as we submit to one another. But here he's speaking concerning Christ and the church. He's giving an analogy here, but he's saying that even in this analogy, it is a mystery. Christ and the church. How can Christ, who is God, have this kind of relationship with us? We are fallen human beings. But when we are in Christ, our fallenness is buried, atoned for under His precious blood. When we are in Christ, we are considered the righteousness of God in Christ. We have boldness and confidence to go to God. But the process of this is very important. In the process, we learn to deal with guilt and sin consciousness by 1 John 1 9, bringing them under the blood. We learn to pursue a guilt free, no condemnation relationship with God. We learn to come to God with confidence and boldness. We don't have to bang our heads, fall on the ground. We don't have to beat ourselves up, cut our hands and our body to ask God for mercy and grace. No. Because Jesus has already provided a way for us, a new and living way. There's only two passports to the presence of God. The blood of Jesus. 
We must always be forgiven, cleansed, and covered by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19-21. And secondly, we always come to the Father God, God Himself, who is holy, who is a consuming fire. We always come to God the Father in the name of Jesus. Through Jesus, our high priest of the order of Melchizedek, the highest order. Jesus is our Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He invites us into this deep relationship. And which leads us to this fifth mystery, the Godhead dwelling in the believer. Colossians 1, the mystery now been revealed to the saints. What is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The bottom line of this is as we live our lives, when we sense the reality of the presence of God in our lives, when we have the reality of God and walking with God, we always have hope. We always have hope. Even in the worst of times, even in the most difficult of times. And Jesus has already said, in the world you will have trouble. John 16, 33. In the world there is tribulation. In the world you will be cheated. In the world there will be broken relationships. In the world there may not be justice. It will be unfair. People will be unkind. Your boss may favour somebody more who may not be so hardworking, who may not have produced the results and give him more bonuses or more salary or more promotion than you. Or you may have been fired unfairly. You may have been jilted in a broken uh, relationship. Life is not fair. All the complaints about life, which is what Jesus has already said, in the world you will have trouble. But he says, in me you will always have hope. You will always have peace. You always have irony. So the purpose of understanding this, this mystery is for every one of us. And this is something I've been grappling with, walking with God now for 54 years, to experience more and more of the reality of God in our lives. God's dwelling place has shifted from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's dwelling place was in the tabernacle of Moses. In the ark, that represents the presence of God, then shifted secondly to the temple. Temple that was built during the time of Solomon and then repaired during the time of uh, Haggai, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And when it was partly destroyed, it was repaired during Herod's reign, the second temple. But after Pentecost, after Calvary, after Pentecost, God's temple has moved from the physical location which was meant primarily for Israel to your spirit man. We are now temples of the Holy Spirit. So every believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God now as spirit, God is spirit, He is dwelling in you and in me. He is dwelling in every believer, in the entire body of Christ, of many members, of all believers through the ages. That's why this is a mystery. Colossians 2, verse 2 and 3. Paul talks about this as the mystery of God of both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And therefore, when we have the Father and Christ, we have access to all this treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And in chapter 4, verse 3 of Colossians, he calls this the mystery of Christ. Specifically how? Firstly, Christ is in every believer. You're familiar with Galatians 2.20. Paul says, the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in Jesus. Every day we live by faith in Jesus. 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to suggest that as we grow deeper in God, as we grow in spiritual maturity, we are better able to relate to each person of the Godhead differently. There are only three persons in the Godhead and all three are perfectly one. For example, never, never pray in the sense, oh, I thank you, Father, for going to the cross. The Father did not go to the cross. The Lord Jesus went to the cross. All right? So one, one manifestation of spiritual maturity, of your depth in your relationship with God, is that you're better able to relate to each person of the Godhead. So Christ is in the believer. Jesus is in the believer. Who is Jesus to you? The Bible says He's the great I Am. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness. What is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. So when you follow Jesus and Christ is in you, He's going to give you light. Another word for light, He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you insight. He's going to give you a, a, a way out of the problem, the predicament that you're in, whether it's in work or in a relationship or so forth. That is what it means to experience Christ in you. He says that I am the... The song that we sang, He's our high tower. He's the, the, the name of the Lord. is a strong tower. The righteous run to Him and they are delivered. They are saved. So we run to Jesus. We say, help. He's our strong tower. Secondly, the Father God is also in the believer. John 14, 23. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. The Father God loves all of us. And he says, we, which is the Father and Jesus, we will come to him and make our home with him. We will dwell with the believer. Of course, this was spoken before Calvary, spoken before Pentecost. So after Calvary, after Pentecost, when Jesus is in us, the Father God is in us. What do we know about the Father? How do we grow in relationship with the Father? We need to know, and has been praying over the years, to more and more of his love. More and more of his love. Some of you know that among the pastoral staff, several of us, we attend all four services. And since we're going to attend all four services, for me personally, that half an hour of corporate worship is very precious. Same songs, same worship leaders, same musicians and so forth, all right? But the half an hour is very precious because every one of that half an hour is a dedicated, committed time to God. Anyway, I'm here anyway. So I choose intentionally to worship God. And allow the love of the Father. And there are many things that happen during the half an hour, all right? And every worship service is different. But within the half an hour, I receive afresh the love of the Father. And when the love of the Father comes to me, it refreshes me. We sang about the goodness of God earlier on. And I, I will pray to James 1, 17. The Father God is a good God. He gives good gifts. With Him, there is no shifting of shadow. I can move around now with the spotlight. I can see on camera or so forth. My shadow moves. But the Father God, no, there's so much light, there's no shadow. There's no shifting of shadow. There's no variableness of turning. He is faithful. The Father God is faithful. And when I'm perfected in His love, every fear that I have, do I have fears? I have plenty of fears. Fears come to me. It's like a bird flying above the head, putting doubts, putting discouragement of this incident, the incident, pressure and stress. I don't know about you, that you, I have faced the same thing. I face SAF, like all of us, stress, anxieties, and fears. But when we are perfected in the Father's love, when we are plugged in the Father's love, when we are connected to the Father's love, when we receive and experience the Father's love, fear begins to leave us. 
That's how what it means to know the Father. Another dimension of the Father is His sovereignty. He's a great sovereign God, all-powerful God. And we need to experience Him. Sometimes I feel so small, so little. And sometimes lying on the bed, all tired out. And what do I do? I say, thank you, Father, that I can lie here on my pillow, on my bed. I can commune with you spirit to spirit. I can commune, commune to you, Father, deep in me with the deep in you, in you. I'm the limited one connecting with you, the limitless one. I can come to you as your son, as a child to my heavenly Father. And more, and there's more things about the Father. And thirdly, we are, we are, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are told that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit because we were bought by the price of Jesus. Who is the Holy Spirit to you? The Father God is the supreme, sovereign, all-controlling God. He sent the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. He became the Son of Man. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, He gave us the Holy Spirit. And right now, we relate to the Father. We come to the Lord Jesus always true and led by, enabled by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we are finito. The Holy Spirit is exactly like the Father, exactly like the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, I send you another just like me. This is so important. And which is why through the years, the devil will want to and cause church leaders when they have what we call false doctrine, the doctrine of cessation of gifts. There is no Holy Spirit. I used to belong to a church when I was a teenager. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit. Always the mention of the Father or Jesus as your Savior. No mention of the Holy Spirit. And they just take one verse, the Holy Spirit shall not take any glory, but give all glory to the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. And we need Him because without the Spirit, it's not by might, not by power. Everything is by the Spirit. We need to walk by the Spirit and be led by Him. What do you know about the Holy Spirit? And over the years, I've learned He is my parakletos. I love this phrase used by this guy from Navigators, Bennett. He calls the Holy Spirit our alongsider. He comes and walks alongside you. He's our alongsider. And when I give thanks and pray, I thank you, Holy Spirit, you're my alongsider. Find another word, find a synonym. You are my instructor. You're my teacher. You're my guide. Would you interrupt, would you intervene in my thinking, in my feeling, in my decision-making? Would Lord, would you intervene in my situation and circumstance? Thank God for the 2 o'clock service. After 2 o'clock, I have an hour plus to tweak the message to fine-tune and you're receiving a better version of it. Those of you who are here on-site and those of you who are watching online. Because there's enough time to tweak. I say, Holy Spirit, you just have to intervene in every detail. People I have conversation with when I have my coffee just now. All right? And that's what He does. He intervenes. And I'll share with, that, with you in a moment how He intervenes. He's our alongsider. Question. How come the Holy Spirit can dwell inside the believer in the New Testament when He cannot do so in the Old Testament? One very important reason. Because in the New Testament, after Calvary, after Pentecost, you and I are forgiven, cleansed, washed by the perfect blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers the believer perfectly. And because the Holy Spirit is holy, holy, set apart, and because we are made holy 
by the blood of Jesus, He can now come and dwell in us. In the Old Testament, all right, they were redeemed by the blood of goats, goats and bulls. The Holy Spirit cannot dwell in the Old Testament because the blood covering of animal sacrifices were temporary. They were temporary. Only the perfect blood of Jesus can cover us perfectly. The scriptures are all there in the bottom right of the slide. In Acts 20, in Ephesians 1, 7 and 1 Peter 1, we are told that we are redeemed, bought with the precious, perfect blood of Jesus, the spotless, blameless blood of Jesus. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is the anointing in the believer. He is the presence of God in you and in me. And the presence of God in you and me never leaves the believer. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in the church, in every believer. He will live with every believer at the rapture. He's indwelling present. But the Holy Spirit is always around because He's God. He is omnipresent. He still be around the earth to convict people to sin and leading them to salvation in the preaching of the 144,000 evangelists and so on and so forth. And He's with us forever, permanent. Let me bring this together, what we have covered today. Mystery number one, we talk about the blindness of Israel. How God suspended His dealings with them. Mystery number two, we talk about then God called forth Himself a new group of people. The new group of people called the church, the one new man in Christ. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, any human being on the face of this earth, if they believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, if they're born again, and for those of you watching online, even some or two, one or two of you who may be here for the first time, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never received Him intentionally, deliberately as your Lord and personal Saviour, I want to invite you to stay behind all right, for a time of short prayer. All right, somebody will explain the gospel to you. And for those of you watching online, go to one of the breakout rooms where someone will speak with you and pray with you and, and share with you to give you clarity on this. Then you become a part of the church. You become a part of the body of Christ. You become a member in the family of God. You are then adopted into God's family as His son and as His daughter. Then you are safe. Your place is secured forever in the presence of God. Then we talk today about the mystery of godliness. Christ the head coming in bodily form and then through the church, He manifests Himself through the church so that you and I, we partake of the divine nature. Today we talk about the church as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And the one I put it all together that I want to emphasize is mystery number five. The Godhead dwelling in the believer. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And as we grow and mature in Him, 2 Peter 1 tells us that we, we grace and peace, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the peace of God, the well-being is multiplied into our lives as we experience the Father, as we experience the Lord Jesus, and as we experience the Holy Spirit. This is in 2 Peter 1, verse 2 to 4. Putting it all together as we end, we talk about these three mysteries today. The mystery of godliness. The mystery of the church as the body of Christ. We are a part of Him. He is a part of us. He is our head. We submit to Him as members of His body. But the church also as the bride of Christ in terms of relationship, in terms of intimacy. And God is calling for us to dwell 
And then the mystery of the Godhead dwelling in the believer, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which means that if God is in us, who can be against us? If God is in us, the battle belongs to Him. If God is in us, we should always have hope. We should always have hope. Even in the dire of circumstances. A few hours ago, I was with a group of people and they were telling me what is top of the, one of the topics that was on discussion, which is on social media, which I'm not aware of. Just too busy in the last two weeks. They talk about this lady called Jane Mazeski. Alright, if I can pronounce it, Mazeski. The story of Night, Night, Night Bird. And how she sang a song entitled, It's Okay. Thirst and Soul and Light have produced articles and, and according to the managing overall editor, he tells me that this is one of the top, uh, in terms of the hits of reading this article, or is amongst the top in the last one, two weeks. And she wrote a personal blog. And who is she? All right, some of us may not know who, she, who is she. She is a young woman from Ohio. She had three bouts of cancer. Cancer in her lungs, in her spine, and her liver. Barely before she reached the age of 30. And the doctor only gave her a 2% chance of survival. Or about six months to live. From what I understand from people who have gone through her blogs and so forth, she's a believer. In fact, she's a worship leader, I understand. And in her blog, there are various things that she shared and said. I encourage you to go and read, all right, to give you hope. And I picked up a few of these phrases. She said, I'm still begging, I'm still bargaining with God, I'm still demanding, disappearing. I guess that by means I have all the more reason to say thank you because God is drawing near to me. 2% of survival, she's clinging on to this 2% of survival as told by the doctors. She says 2% of survival isn't zero. 2% is something, and I wish people knew how amazing it is. It is like a dying man clutching at a straw. It's like when you're in such a dark tunnel, you begin to see a little glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. It's like when you're in the middle of the night and you're looking for when is morning going to come, when is dawn going to come, and you see the morning star. The morning star is the Lord Jesus. It's the bright and morning star. She said, went on to say, God doesn't spare me of thirst. She was thirsty, angry with this cancer, with all this that's happening to her. But he says, God brings water. There is grace at every moment of a predicament. Grace of God coming to her at particular points in her terrible journey. Why did she call herself night bird? She said, I had the same dream three nights in a row. And in my dreams, I woke up and there were birds singing outside my windows in the dark. Birds singing in the dark. On the third night, she woke up to find her dream had come true. There were indeed birds singing outside her window at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. is a very important time, spiritually speaking. For the witches, it is that twitching hour. <laughs> I think it's also a time where there's a lot of activity in the spiritual realm. Alright, some of us know this by experience. We know this is true generally. But 3 a.m. The birds were singing as if it was morning, she wrote. But there was really no sign of the light yet. And in fact, in one of the blocks she talks about, she was in the, in the bathroom on the floor. She was really down and out. She was pissed off with God, disappointed with God, angry. Here is she dying 
angry, but you hear the birds singing at 3 a.m. Three nights in a row. And I wanted to embody that, being somebody that could sing through a dark time. I wanted to embody that. A choice of words. I wanted to embody that, being somebody that could sing through a dark time. Because I was so full of hope and assurance that there would be a morning. That the morning will come. Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. This is God's yearning for each of us to experience His reality. Some of us may be in situations where we are in, in dire circumstances. And Paul wrote this in Romans 15, 30. He said, May the God of hope our God is called one of, there are many names of God, but this is one of His names. He's the God of hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does it manifest in the day-to-day living? God of hope to fill you with all joy. And one of the outcomes of joy is strength, ability to cope, to fill you with all peace. And some of us, we don't have peace. We are troubled. We are worried, we are fierce. Filled with all joy and peace as we believe. And we can believe because Christ is in us. But we don't want to get stuck there, that we may abound in hope. We grow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the mystery that is revealed. And as we end this service, this mystery that is revealed, let it not remain just as a cognitive matter in our lives. Cognitive means it's just only in our heads. But let this be a reality. A reality that we live on a day-to-day basis. The mystery of godliness. The mystery of the church. We are the church. The body and the bride of Christ. And the mystery... Christ in you, in me, the hope of glory.